Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the forgiveness. He is the priest. He is the King. And He is forever our hope. Are you in? Well, as you know, we're in a series here. And the series is called Greater. Jesus, my sacrifice. And we're walking through the book of Hebrews. We're using that tagline, greater, all throughout. So greater, Jesus, my God, that was the first couple of chapters. Then greater, Jesus, my high priest, that was the middle couple of chapters. And now we're into greater, Jesus, my sacrifice, as we're going through chapters 7 through 10, all right? And it's a huge focus on Jesus as being bigger than any other. He is so worth worshiping. He is great. Everybody just say, he is greater. And he is greater. May we land that. May we grasp that. May we live that. So as we dive into these passages, we're looking at ways we can learn about his greatness and worship him afresh. All right? That's our goal. So that said, as we dive in, remember last week I kind of told you this, uh, I'm going to be bringing sort of a front-end piece of information each week. We'll call it a trailer, if you will. And uh, I'm your trailer, you know, like when you watch an episode and then they look back with that trailer and tell you a little bit of information, remind you of who some people are or whatever, kind of get the thing set up so that as you're watching that episode, you're not completely lost with what's going on. And so as we walk through this, the book of Hebrews is looking back into Old Testament. It is looking back to some of the details of the Old Testament, and they matter. Like God was doing something with the planning of those details in setting up some New Testament hope. And so as the book of Hebrews looks back, as the author looks back, there's some information that at times you may be less informed on. So I'm your trailer, right? So I'm going to keep you up to date. We'll get it going that way. So that said, as we start in today, there's going to be one kind of big focus about Christ as high priest entering into what's called the tabernacle, the tabernacle. And uh, that's a word that's used in the Old Testament. You may not know much about it. I know I didn't know much about it before I started doing some study on it and being able to get some details nailed down. You know, the tabernacle was something that Moses was asked to build. So you can imagine Moses up on the uh, Mount Sinai talking to God, and God's giving some clarity, some details, and on top of that, God's giving some commands on things to go after. And he's like, here's exactly what I want you to do. And then he gives him some direction, and in fact, Moses got very specific direction about the tabernacle. He's like, I want it 75 feet wide by 150 feet long. Right? So there's kind of fabric along the outside, 75 feet by 150 feet. That was like the outer fence. And then as you step inside, there was going to be inside of that kind of fabric around fence line thing, there was going to be a tent. That tent was going to be 15 feet by 15 feet by 45 feet. And it had to be exactly that. And then God asked him for detailed specifics. Now, that was the place where it was known that God would be present with them. So they would build that at the middle of wherever they camped, and the tents would be camped around it, and God's presence would be known to be there in that tabernacle. Now, they couldn't really approach the tabernacle, like the priest had to be the one to do that. So they could come in to the outer area where the, that outer fencing was. They could come inside there with their sacrifice 
sacrifice or their prayer requests or whatever, but the priest would be the one to take it into the tabernacle. The priest would be the one to take it into that tent and to be able to do some praying on behalf of the people or even laying down the sacrifice and some blood for their sins to be covered, right? That was the role of the priest. All right, that said, it's kind of hard to get your vision around that, so I thought, let's just throw a pick up. So this is a pick we used a couple years back for, for this exact kind of topic, and I thought it was, this is probably the best pick I've ever seen as far as a painting of what it would have looked like for the tabernacle in the Old Testament in the wilderness when they've encamped. So you can see the tents all around, and you see that uh, kind of fence-lined fabric there, and you see the open gate at the front. That's where they would have come in if they were coming to ask for prayer or for a sacrifice. The priests would be standing at all times in there. That was their job, to be up and working at all times, so they were standing, and they would have done some kind of interaction there and then stepped inside of that tent that's in the middle there. And notice that God was making clear, this is where my presence will be experienced. Like this is where I will release my Shekinah glory, my expressed presence. And maybe the pillar of fire kind of gives away that that's where God's hanging out. You know what I mean? So this massive pillar of fire out there in the wilderness and it's over this tabernacle. Everybody knew God is there. That is where the presence of God is expressed and that is where the priest approaches them. I'm not to go in there, but God is there and the priest approaches on my behalf. That is the Old Testament tabernacle and there was a lot of interaction that went on from the high priest in that tabernacle. So we're now gonna see the tabernacle referenced throughout this passage today and we're gonna be looking back at some of this Old Testament info, but it's pointing forward to something much more massive with Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to grab, all right? Trailer ends, okay? So that said, Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 8, starting in verse 1, and we're going to be talking about Jesus as the sacrifice, but in this case now, the one who's ministering on our behalf, and this sacrifice, such a big deal about it, ministering on our behalf, this new covenant. So point number one here is worship. Worship Jesus who is seated in the heavens and offers a gift that no other can. Worship. Worship Jesus who is seated in the heavens and offers a gift that no other can. So we'll start out in chapter 8, verse 1 now. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're talking to somebody and as you're explaining things and you're giving details, you can almost see their eyes glass over and there's like a lot of information in it. And so you're trying to distill it down like, all right, I know I just lost you. So like, here's the point. And like we bring it down to this simple summary statement. That's what the author's doing here. He's like, I know there's been a lot of information in chapter seven. And I know there's a lot about Christ as high priest. And there's a lot of detail about who he is. But but let's make sure we grasp this. Here's the simple summary. He says, we have such a high priest. We have that kind of high priest. Like in chapter seven, you see this high priest described, and in fact, here's the words he used. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, priest forever. He's like, we have that high priest. Now the high priests of the Old Testament that went into that fabric tabernacle, well, those were human beings, and they were not any of these things. But Jesus Christ is that. 
and we have hope because of him. It says, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. I'm just going to take this sentence and we're going to walk backwards through it, okay? So let's start at the back end. Majesty in heaven. This is God the Father himself. God over all. The one whose will sits over all of things that exist. This is God. The, everybody say God the Father. Right, and so God the Father is the majesty in heaven. We have Jesus seated at his right hand. So seated at the right hand of the throne. At the right hand of the throne. That's a huge deal because the right hand was the ruling hand. It was the hand of justice. It was the hand of fairness. It was the hand of rightness. It was God making decision that was right and fair and just. Jesus on that side with God the Father. And it says seated, meaning job done. Like this is a super huge deal that we grasp that Jesus Christ seated next to God the Father, work done, right? He died on the cross, sacrifice made. But just so you know, many think that's what it's talking about, seated because the sacrifice was made. But I'm telling you, it's more than that. It's a ton more than that. It says he's seated, meaning he gets to be the sacrifice for us, the replacement for us. So yes, he died on the cross. He becomes the lamb of God on our behalf. Awesome. And as he dies on the cross, then he is that sacrifice. But please hear me, there's more. He raises from the dead. That's a huge deal because now all of a sudden he will be eternal, not just because he's God Almighty, yes, eternal uh, from that front, but also in humanity, he now gets clothed with this glorified body and forever he will reign and live as fully God and fully man. At that moment, Jesus is now able to become the high priest. His journey is completed at the resurrection he now becomes the high priest. He gets to step into that role. So first role, I am lamb of God, sacrificing myself available. He goes to the cross, his blood for you and for me. No forgiveness without it. Praise God that our perfect savior went to the cross. And all of God's people said, but more than just he died, he is risen from the dead. In fact, Romans 10 says that to be saved, you have to believe that he is risen, alive. Jesus Christ is alive. And then at that point, as he ascends into the heavens, right? We know 40 days later, he ascended. And as he ascended up, he took on the role of high priest then and there. And as he steps into the presence of God the Father, he ends up taking this offering, this presentation, the sacrifice of him on the cross, and it is laid before the Father in the tabernacle of the heavens, if you will. The tabernacle on earth had a sacrifice laid before the Father there, but this is tabernacle in the heavens, and he's standing before the Father, and he lays down this offering. The job is done. The sacrifice is made, and the Father scoots up a chair next to him and is like, take a seat. It's over. Delivered once for all. Please hear me, Jesus is not over and over and over again delivering himself up in the tabernacle in the heavens saying, sacrifice again, sacrifice again. Everybody say, not that. Sacrificed on the cross once and then offered before the Father once for all and Jesus takes a seat, it is all complete. That's what we have going on is Jesus in the heavens seated with the Father offering himself up 
as the sacrifice. It says, a minister in the holy place. So what exactly is Jesus doing if he's not repeatedly offering himself as a sacrifice? And you know, if you look in the Old Testament details, and we saw some of it over the handful of weeks here that we've looked in the past, one of the roles of the priest is to come on behalf of the people and represent. And Jesus is doing exactly that. He is active in his role before the Father, but the sacrifice is done complete and full. So what is it that he's doing then? Well, here's three words. First, he is advocate. He is an advocate for us. First John 2, 1 and 2 talks about it. The fact that he's like a lawyer for us. Maybe you could say it this way. Any accusation, he's defending you. When Satan comes with attack, Jesus says, whoa, hang on. My blood has covered that one. That one is trusted in me. This one is called child of God. They are known for who they are with me. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. They are covered. Watch yourself. Jesus Christ for you, defending you, as accusation may come from Satan himself. But he's doing more than that. He's also intercessor. He's praying on your behalf. He's coming as high priest into the tabernacle in the heavens. He's communicating with the Father about what is going on in your life. Maybe we could say it this way. Any pain in your life, he is crying out for. Any need in your life, he is on behalf of you. And here's just a couple of passages. Hebrews 2.18. He says, he's tasted of temptation and so Come to him. He will bring help for that temptation. He is crying out. He is longing for this help in the middle of temptation along the way. More than that, Hebrews 4.16 says, draw near and ask what you need. This is a huge deal. Jesus Christ is the priest. And just like there was a priest in the Old Testament who on behalf of the people would step into the tabernacle and as the incense would rise, he would pray on behalf of the people. That's your God for you right now. In this broken world, look man, as, as dumb as this world is, with as many things are going wrong, know this, your God knows you and he loves you. And he is standing on behalf of you and in the presence of the Father, he is crying out for you. He is bringing for you fulfillment of need, protection and temptation. He is crying out on your behalf. And yes, the Holy Spirit crying out as well on your behalf. The Godhead is just erupting into your life right here and now. Man, don't think about Jesus Christ as just some future thing. Right here, in this moment, praying for you, longing for you, defending and protecting you. So advocate, intercessor, and then last, and preparer. You know, we're told in John 14, verses one through six, uh, that Jesus has a plan. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it says he is preparing a place for you. Maybe you could say it this way, in the midst of all the brokenness of this place, he is functionally working to restore and replace it. He's removing sin. He's bringing in perfection. He is bringing for you a stunning, glorious home. We have no idea what it's going to look like, but it is going to rock our world. He said he is going to prepare a place. Man, he is active in your life, providing for you. In this world, in all of its sin and mess, 
please hear me. He is not asking us to walk the journey of sin being removed from our lives and then he just disappears. He is actively, daily, moment by moment on your behalf, entering into the tabernacle in the heavens and crying out on your behalf with the incense of prayer coming up to the Father. Jesus loves you with all he's got. It says here, a minister in the holy places. And uh, this is where that word tabernacle is really referred to. That's why we threw the pickup at the beginning. Holy places are really the tabernacle pieces. So in the outside, remember it's 15 by 15 by 45, that little tent. The outer piece of it is called the holy place. That's where the priest would go to pray and represent the people. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place. And that's where he would represent the sins of the nation and cover them there. And there was this massive interaction with God Almighty in the holy places of the tabernacle. He's talking about the tent. Now, when the Jews hear this, they'd be like, in the holy places? We're not doing that tent thing anymore, man. What's he talking about? And he's saying, there's this thing on earth that you knew as a physical tent but that was nothing, it was a look-alike, it was a similarity, it gets you the idea of what's going on in the heavens. Jesus is doing a massive work. In fact, it says, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. In the true tent that the Lord has set up, like man was setting up those tents and those fence lines and taking them down all the time. And when they traveled in the wilderness, they were responsible for setting it up and tearing it down. And then the very presence of God, the thunderous, powerful pillar of fire would come over it and rest down. And obviously they're like, okay, things are going well. We've got God with us. And uh, man, it's not that. It's something that is built in the heavens by God the Father himself. And he has built something of this tabernacle. We're gonna see it in a little bit in the passage. But the passage is like Moses had to design and build this exactly according to the blueprints God gave. And we're not exactly sure why. Maybe it's that that dimensions in the heavens, like there is this expressed presence of the Father and the presence of the throne and the worship and the celebrate right there that's actually this dimension, maybe. We don't know what's going on, but somehow get a very visible image of a very worshipful place with God the Father present and Jesus entering in as high priest on your behalf, regularly, daily, Always. I'll just say it this way. Jesus ministers there in order to impact us here. Jesus ministers there in order to impact us here. He is standing in the presence of the glory of God Almighty, and there is some impact that takes place as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together to rock your world. There is a thunderous worship taking place there, and it does have watershed effect on you. They're talking and conversing and caring for you. And God loves you with all he's got. It says for every high priest, everybody say every, and this includes Jesus, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, they came with lambs or doves or grain offerings. And Christ is coming with the offering of himself as the lamb of God. And now he stepped in and set that down and that is a once for all good offering as he's laid that up and now he cries out on our behalf and prays for covering in the midst. It says, 
thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Talking about Jesus Christ, he is offering up himself. He is the offering, his life. So he is the lamb of God. And that gets offered up by him as the high priest. It is offered up once for all. And so the father says, take a seat. The job is done. So he sits down on that portion. And there is now some level of prayer interaction that takes place. Coverage for us along the journey. And he is king over it all. Jesus Christ. And this is a huge deal. And the proper response that we grasp in the middle of understanding that there is some Old Testament tabernacle, and we're gonna talk more about how to even process that in just a moment, that there is this tabernacle in heaven and there's this thunderous worship in man. I'm just telling you, I love Revelation four and five and this unbelievable imagery that's taking place. I don't think we grasp the stunning greatness of what's going on. Revelation four and five, the colors splashing everywhere, the power unleashing, the glory of God unbelievably stunning and Christ in the middle of that, offering up for you and for me as he cares along the way. Your God loves you. Angels celebrate as they're watching it take place. Thunderous worship in the presence of God, the tabernacle in the heavens, and Jesus, your high priest, on your behalf right now. May we worship him. And may we thank him, appreciate him, and praise him along the way. You know, we've talked about worship in a number of different ways. I just wanted to give you three words. We've talked about this in the past, worship. And uh, if you're going to go after worshiping your God, how do you do it, right? Here we go. First word, encounter. Encounter the living God. Real worship starts when you are rocked by who he is. Spend time in God's word and spend time talking with him. Rocked by your God. As you open up the word and read a passage, just Lord, show me who you are. And then at the end of it, Lord, I am stunned by who you are. You are awesome in this. Just be encountering the living God. That's the first one. If you want to draw it like a triangle up to the middle to the top, exalt. Exalt is the next one. And this is where you spend time reflecting on what you've just read. Spending time before your God, just being still. Just take a moment to breathe in that that's who he is. To behold him in his stunning greatness. Maybe to confess sin and say, Lord, this needs to go. I haven't been getting this right with you. To be still, to behold him. To check him out and be in awe. Worship as you spend time with what you've just figured out about your God before him quietly. And I'm not kidding when I say quiet, like being still, like take some minutes, one, three, maybe five minutes where you're just quiet before your God. And then moving to the last word, engage, where you're obediently moving with your king. You're doing what he sees fit. You are making sure that he gets all the glory as you live your life out that day. Engage. So it's encounter, exalt, engage, right? Now, actually, that's pretty close to the three words that we said last week. And uh, if you remember, we were talking about being in the canoe going down the river of life, right? And the first word is pray, right? And so the encountering, like spending time with your God, interacting with him, praying, getting into his word, pray. And then the second word was pause. That's the exalting, spending time just taking in who he is, 
And then lastly is engage. That's when you pick up the paddle and go. You start paddling. And so pray, pause, paddle, encounter, exalt, engage. However you want to say it, may our worship be on fire. All too often we are so focused and distracted on, you know, whatever, the next variant of COVID coming along. Like, can we not do that? Can we focus more on the God of the universe who has this world in hand? May God get all the glory. May we lift him up and praise him. And all of God's people said, man, man, huge deal. So Napoleon, 1800s, right? He kind of ravaged as he was moving along, taking over towns. And he was, uh, early 1800s, was coming up to the uh, borders of Austria. And there was a city right on the edge of Austria there. And they knew, they had heard about him and how horrible he was, how vicious he was. And uh, he was coming in to take over. And they got up one morning. And as they looked up, they could see soldiers along the high mountaintops around their city. And they're like, it's done. Like, he's here. We're in trouble. What do we do? And some were like, we should fight. And they're like, Dude, we'll die right away. We can't do that. And others were like, we should just surrender. Let's just give it up and be done with it. And they're like, I've heard bad things from that too. And I'm not sure which way to go. And they were all fearful. And at that point, the pastor of the community stepped in and said, listen, it's Easter weekend this weekend. So why don't we do this? Forget about what's in front of you. Look up. Forget about what's going on that's bringing fear and struggle. Let's just rally this place together on Easter Sunday morning and let's light the place up on worship. We'll figure out what God wants us to do from there, but let's worship him. And so on Easter Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they got up and somebody grabbed the bell of the church tower and just started ringing that thing like, let's bring it together. Let's do this for Christ. Let's celebrate along the way. And people coming in like fired up to get there and worship God, man. There was laughter. There was celebration. There was worship as they were rallying together. And on the other side, Napoleon and the army was looking down trying to figure out why in the world they'd be ringing the bell. And they're like, the king of Austria must have come in the night. And they must have come with army and now they feel like they're saved. We gotta get out of here. We can't stand up to them with this small army that we've got set right here. And they literally backed out and moved away. God protected them as they worshiped. Please hear me on this. Our worship It pushes away the enemy. Please hear me. When you are on fire with Jesus Christ, Satan moves back. He will not, cannot stand in it. It says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Your worship is a powerful weapon. You on fire for Christ, celebrating him with all you've got. You ring that bell in the face of fear. I serve the God who's got an answer, and I will not back down. And all of God's people said, so how's your worship? So how are you doing at being fired up about the work that Christ is doing in your life before the very presence of the almighty God the Father? How are you doing at making sure your worship is lit up no matter what is going on in front of you? May God get all the glory, okay? Point number two, grasp. Grasp that the ministry of Jesus is far more superior than 
that of the law. Grasp that the ministry of Jesus is far more superior than that of the law. It says, now if he, Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Now, this is kind of one of those statements like, can God build a rock big enough that he can't carry it, right? It's one of those like, he'd have to counter himself. Why is that true? Because Jesus is the author of the law. Because God sets the law in motion. He's not gonna violate the law. That all of a sudden makes him unholy. That makes him violating the very thing he put in place. The law actually states, remember Abraham and the 12 tribes and the Levite priests, that the human priests here on earth in the physical tabernacle have to be from the tribe of Levi. That's what the law were to say. So if Jesus was to violate that, he's actually stepping up and going, never mind. This is maybe, here's another way to say it. God's saying, I am the Lord your God, I change not. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm staying true to what I said. That was a human thing. That was a reference thing in front of you. And it's not about Jesus Christ. So no, he's not a human earthly priest. He's something so much greater. It says, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, which is what we just dealt with here, right? They're going according to the law from the tribe of Levi, and that's their job. And But Jesus is from a different tribe, the tribe of Judah. That's where the king is from. So from the law, well, that's not what it's about at all. It says they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. They serve a copy and shadow. Like the things that they're doing in the Old Testament are but a shadow. So do me a favor, picture a shadow. Make sure you get the gist of what that is. Like picture you've got an object, say some really bright, shiny object you're holding on to, and you turn a light on on this side. So the light shines through the bright, shiny object to the other side, right? And so the shadow on the back side of it, well, it doesn't have the colors and the brightness and the pop of the object itself. It's just kind of this 2D flat kind of gray. You get a little bit of the shape idea from it, but you don't get much more from it. He's like, just so I'm super clear, the things going on in the Old Testament were shadow, okay? Super important you understand that statement. Let me just put it into literary terms. The Bible is one big book from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, and you can read it in segments, right? There's a lot of chapters and there's a lot of book segments, but it's one big book. And we need to see it as all one story. And there is one main character and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the center and the action of all of it. And it all builds towards that and falls off. So here's the deal, as the book opens, it's going through and it's beginning to show you details that we were just told here are shadows. What do you call something in literary terms when as you're reading in the story, the first thing you run into is the shadow? It's called foreshadowing, right? That's what he's doing. This is a literary term where he's actually rolling in the shadow first, giving you an idea of what will come. And then it rolls out to the greatness of Christ delivered. And as the light splashes on, the shadow is cast back into the Old Testament. Man, every time you are reading Old Testament, just say this to yourself. This is a shadow. What does this say about Jesus? What's going on about the greatness of Christ? And this is just a flat 2D gray image of it. He's showing you the shadow first so that when he shows you Christ, you can go, oh, I see, I get it all. I see how it all comes together. That's what's happening. So he's like, just so we're clear, the Old Testament law, foreshadowing. It's a shadow only. 
And Christ is the actual object that the light is hitting and just splashing glorious grandeur on. Says, yeah, this is a foreshadowing. We said it this way before, the law, it just manages sin. It's 2D and flat. But Jesus, he removes sin. Says, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Like Moses was given exact specific blueprint. Moses was not to change any of the dimensions. 15 by 15 by 45. God knows what he's doing. He's got mathematical similarity to whatever he's comparing it to. And maybe it's exact size to heaven. Maybe it's just some relational connection. We don't know, but God is saying, I'm telling you, you make that. And it's going to give an understanding of what Christ is doing in the heavens. It's a huge deal. It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. Christ's ministry is much more excellent. I mean, is it fair to just say, uh, no duh, right? Like it is much more excellent. Like the Old Testament reveals sin. And the New Testament does too. The Old Testament reveals that we come up short. New Testament too. The Old Testament reveals that we can have forgiveness through lamb's blood. New Testament too, through the one lamb, Jesus Christ. But more than sin and more than awareness and more than forgiveness, the new covenant with Christ brings perfection. One degree of glory at a time, your sin being removed. This side of heaven. And ultimately and finally, whether it's because you pass away or because you're raptured home, either way, in that moment, in a twinkling, immediate perfection, all of it removed. The plan of Christ is removing sin. The Old Testament doesn't even come close. It is way short on that. And Christ's ministry so much better. It says, as the covenant he made is better since it is enacted on better promises, promises of forever, promises of eternity with perfection, promises of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache. The law doesn't promise that. The law promises we'll try to work with the pain and the sin and the heartache. We'll try to cover it. With the new covenant with Jesus, it is that will be removed. Man, I'm telling you one day, Christ is going to come thunderously back into this world. And as he storms in as king and priest and lamb, he is going to be doing an amazing work of putting to an end all of this brokenness. Christ will put it to an end and we get taken home to that glorious place of worship where the light will rock your world. Your jaw will drop. Your eyes will be almost needing to cover from the number of colors splashing. Are you ready to be there? All too often we live life trying to be in the next place the next day and making it all about that. May we grasp that Christ is delivering us home forever to a place of joy and laughter and peace and perfection forever, Jesus Christ. It says, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. If the law made people perfect, then we wouldn't need to be doing the second covenant or the new covenant with Christ. The law does not. It just reveals our need. It is a flat 2D shadow 
in the Old Testament. And as you roll through the shadow, just keep looking into the details of the shadow and you will be in awe. I mean, worshipful awe of some of the details of Christ that are unveiled in the Old Testament. I mean, we even talked about it when we went through the feasts a couple of years back. Like just so many Old Testament details that are a shadow of Christ to come. Are you ready to worship the King? Are you ready to bow down and make it all about Him? Man, may we grasp that there is a thing going on in heaven that is glorious beyond measure. And Christ on your behalf, every single day, praying, longing, defending, protecting, and even building and providing, your God loves you. And all of God's people said, let's pray.